Welcome to Our Missouri, a podcast about the people, places, culture, and history of the 114 counties and independent city of St. Louis that comprise the great state of Missouri. Each episode focuses on a topic related to the state, ranging from publications about Missouri's history to current projects undertaken by organizations to preserve and promote local institutions. The Our Missouri podcast is recorded at the Center for Missouri Studies in Columbia and is generously provided to you by the State Historical Society of Missouri. And now, here's your host, Sean Rost. Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, or whatever hour you're tuning in to listen to the Our Missouri podcast. My name is Sean Ross, and I'll be your guide as we explore the memories, moments, and misfortunes from our Missouri. Today's episode continues our multi-part series on border wars, a detailed examination of the conflicts that define Missouri's borders and boundaries, as well as the state's role in the Civil War and its aftermath. Today, we will journey back in time to the 1960-61 school year to look at a particularly contentious period in the athletic rivalry between the University of Missouri and the University of Kansas. Though the animosity between the two schools dates back to the bleeding Kansas era prior to the Civil War, as we have heard throughout the Border Wars series, the rivalry between the state's respective namesake universities did not begin until a football game in 1891. Kansas dominated the first 20 years of the rivalry with a 15-3 record in basketball and a 13-4-3 record in football against Missouri. The meeting between the two schools in 1911 at Rollins Field in Columbia, which produced a 3-3 tie, is considered by many to be the first official homecoming football game in history. Through the 19-teens and 20s, the MU and KU football teams held nearly identical records against one another, while the basketball series underwent long stretches of dominance by both schools. After Kansas won 30 of the first 34 meetings dating back to 1907, Missouri won 21 of 25 before KU rattled off the next 12 in a row. By the mid-1930s, the two schools seemed to find their dominant sport. Between 1935 and 1960, Kansas basketball went 49-14 against the Tigers, and Missouri's football team finished 16-6-3 against the Jayhawks. The 1960 University of Missouri football team was not supposed to be so good, at least according to head coach Dan Devine. Speaking at the end of the season, Devine and his coaches candidly told the press that they had expected the team to finish 5-5, or in the best-case scenario, 7-3. Every team tries for a perfect season, but it seemed that Devine's realistic expectations were much more muted. Nevertheless, the team that showed up on the field each week was impressive. While not providing the splashy offensive numbers of the modern game, Mizzou did score at least 28 points in 6 of its 10 games, including 41 points against the University of Oklahoma. Led by a rushing attack of Mel West and Norris Stevenson, the first two African-American players to integrate the Mizzou football team in 1957-58, the offense worked well enough, but it was the defensive side of the ball that really turned heads. Going into the meeting with Kansas, the defense, anchored by Danny LaRose in a dominating front line, had pitched three shutouts in its first nine games, and the team had so far outscored opponents 267-59. As the calendar turned in November, anticipation reached a fevered pitch in Columbia. This is the greatest Missouri team in modern history, Athletic Director Don Fro told the press after the Tigers beat Oklahoma 41-19 to end a 14-game losing streak to the Sooners. Only one team stood between the Tigers and perfection, the Kansas Jayhawks. Though sporting two losses heading into the matchup with Missouri, Kansas was no slouch. Knocking off a ranked TCU team to open the season, Kansas's only blemishes were losses to Iowa and Syracuse when those teams were ranked 1-2 and two respectively. In conference play, they played Oklahoma to a 13-13 tie before running undefeated through the rest of the league. On offense, the Jayhawks were led by Lawrence, Kansas native John Hadle, who excelled as a halfback and quarterback. 
Hayda was so dynamic on the offensive side of the ball that he was a two-time All-American and later named the University of Kansas' Player of the Century. Behind Hadel stood the offensive rushing attack of Curtis McClinton and the recently arrived but soon to be controversial Burt Cohn. On November 19th, Missouri and Kansas kicked off the latest edition of their rivalry before 43,000 fans at Memorial Stadium in Columbia. The first half proved to be a defensive showcase as neither team scored. Missouri's defense kept John Hadel and the Kansas offense in check, even holding strong on a goal line stand right before the end of the half. Kansas's defense returned the favor by shutting down Missouri's potent power sweep. The teams entered the locker room smarting from a messy first half that featured multiple turnovers on both sides. After halftime, Kansas's offense quickly took over. Hadel came alive in the run and gun offense, and Kansas raced out to a 10 0 lead, thanks to a touchdown pass from Hadel to Cohen. As the game shifted to the fourth quarter, Kansas's defense had held Missouri's offense without a first down until well into the second half and kept them off the scoreboard. A cone rushing touchdown pushed the Kansas lead to 17 to nothing. Missouri finally showed some offensive life when Mel West took the following kickoff deep into Kansas territory. West followed it up with a touchdown reception to cut the lead to 17 to 7. However, Kansas kept the game out of reach with another Hadel touchdown pass. As the whistle sounded, Kansas and head coach Jack Mitchell celebrated a 23-7 victory behind a stellar defensive performance. Missouri's perfect season was over. The game was a tough pill to swallow. Missouri couldn't climb the highest mountain, wrote Bob Bragg in the St. Louis Post-Dispatch. Kansas today flung 70 years of tradition and a fired-up football team at the Tigers, outplaying and outpowering them 23-7 to take the Big 8 Conference Championship. But Missouri lost more than just a conference championship that fateful November day. It also missed out on at least a share of the national championship, a point not forgotten by Dan Devine. Noting that an Orange Bowl bid awaited them if they won, Devine told reporters that his players felt the pressure to live up to their number one ranking and that the allure of playing in Miami was in the back of everyone's minds. Quote, We tried to combat it by kidding around and saying this was just another ball game, but you don't fool anybody. That's a poor job of getting them ready, end quote. Now, you might be asking, how did Mizzou miss out on a national championship with a bowl game left to be played? Well, it is important to remember how the college football championship system was structured in 1960. Today, the national championship is decided by the winner of a playoff system that is conducted in December and January. In 1960, however, a national champion was crowned at the end of the regular season, rendering the bowl games relatively meaningless outside of bragging rights. As such, following the Missouri-Kansas game, the new number one, Minnesota, was declared the 1960 national champion, despite ending the bowl season with more losses than several other teams finishing in the top five. Two major examples included Ole Miss, which had won all of its games except for a tie with LSU, and Missouri, which went on to defeat Navy in the Orange Bowl and thus claim a perfect season with one glaring asterisk. While Missouri awaited its Orange Bowl game with Navy, Kansas entered the offseason embroiled in scandal. On October 26th, the NCAA and the Big 8 Conference had notified Kansas that the eligibility of three players, Cone and Texas A&M transfers Jim Street and Mickey Walker, were under review due to allegations stemming from their recruitment. It was later alleged that Bud Adams, a Kansas alumnus and business executive connected with the AFL's Houston Oilers, had paid for a trip to an all-star game in Chicago in 1958. Cohn later denied the charges that he had willingly done anything illegal and stated that he simply, quote, went along with what the coach said, end quote. The football allegations were added on top of charges that basketball boosters had purchased a car for former star Wilt Chamberlain during his time on campus. 
despite claims at the end of the season that Burt Cohen was rightfully eligible to play against Missouri because he had not yet been fully declared ineligible, the news of NCAA violations at Kansas were well known even before the fateful game. In fact, the Missouri-Kansas game could not initially be shown on television due to the disciplinary action against the school. As a result, Missouri fans have long held it against Kansas for using an ineligible player that ultimately scored two touchdowns in a crucial game that denied them the national championship. The NCAA and the Big 8 Conference later placed Kansas football on a one-year probation citing the illegal recruitment of players under the entertainment clause and two years to the basketball team for the improper benefits given to Will Chamberlain. The ruling was especially damaging for Cohen, who, despite being an emerging athlete for the school, now faced a 12-month ban in football until halfway through the 1961 season. Though he could not suit up for the Jayhawks for the next year, Cohen was eligible to compete on the university's track team during the spring season, however. In reviewing the verdict, KU officials called the NCAA and Big 8's decisions, quote, counter to the American traditions of justice, end quote. When asked about the punishment, Missouri assistant coach Al Onofrio said, quote, None of us, players or coaches at Missouri, appreciate the technically perfect season or a championship won in a faculty meeting and not on the field. But rules are set to be lived with, not broken, end quote. While Burt Cohen began 1961 with hopes for glory on the track, the Tiger football team headed for sunny Miami for an Orange Bowl date with Navy. With over 70,000 fans looking on, including President-elect John F. Kennedy, Missouri's early play unfortunately replicated their struggles against Kansas. After scoring a touchdown on a Missouri turnover, Navy quickly recovered a fumble and looked to be headed for a blowout. But an interception return for a touchdown put Missouri up 7-6. For the remainder of the game, Navy's passing offense flourished, but it couldn't outpace Missouri's rushing attack. After two more touchdowns, Missouri carried a 21-6 lead late into the second half. Joe Bellino, Navy's Heisman-winning star, caught a touchdown pass to cut the lead to 21-14, but that was his only highlight in the game as the Missouri defense largely held him in check. The oranges never tasted sweeter as Missouri's victory was the first bowl game win in school history and avenged a loss to Miami the previous year. The football team's Orange Bowl win may have temporarily calmed an angered fan base, but the rivalry between Missouri and Kansas intensified as the two schools turned to basketball season. Rumors circulated that the mysterious whistleblower who identified the rules and fractions at Kansas was none other than Missouri Athletic Director Don Farrow. Bob Busby of the Kansas City Star later refuted this claim and cited member schools of the Southwest Conference as the ones who brought the issue to the attention of the NCAA. Nevertheless, Kansas fans directed their ire at Farrow and by proxy the entire University of Missouri for denying postseason play to the basketball and football teams even going so far as to allegedly charter an airplane that flew over the Orange Bowl during the Navy game, pulling a banner that read, quote, Kansas 23, Missouri 7. While the Missouri football team was the apple, or rather the orange, of everyone's eyes, the basketball team was mired in a drought. At the start of January 1961, the team was on an eight-game losing streak, and fans had had enough of Sparky Stalkup and the 2-10 Tigers. The situation grew so negative that students hung an effigy of the coach on campus with a sign that read, Eight in a row, Sparky must go. Though the Maneater, the university's student newspaper, backstalk up and criticized the administration for a lack of financial and recruiting support, the general sentiment was the Tigers would finish the year with a fifth straight losing season, despite senior Charlie Hink anchoring the lineup on his way to being Missouri's all-time leading scorer when he graduated. In contrast to the struggling Tigers, Kansas entered the 1960-61 basketball season with confidence. 
A year earlier, the Jayhawks made it to the NCAA Tournament's Elite Eight and had finished just shy of 20 wins. Drawing in high-profile players from around the country, including the legendary Wilt Chamberlain, Kansas had suffered only one losing season since 1948. Kansas's 60-61 team was led by a dominating frontcourt that included Wayne Hightower, who contended for the Big Eight scoring title, and Bill Bridges, the league's most prolific rebounder. In fact, Bridges and Hightower controlled the glass with such efficiency that it was not uncommon for them to out-rebound the other team by themselves. When the rivalry renewed on the basketball court in February 1961, the bad blood from the football season still boiled. On Kansas's home court, the public address announcer cut short his introduction of both teams starting five after the echoes of boos rang down from the crowd of roughly 8,000. When the game began, the teams played a back-and-forth first half before Kansas pulled away easily to an 88-73 victory. Kansas's Wayne Hightower dominated the game, particularly the second half, by totaling 36 points and 21 rebounds. The intense nature of the game brought an extra level of physicality which caused the separation of players and the littering of debris onto the court by hometown fans. The victory jumped Kansas into first place in the Big 8 standings and extended the Jayhawks' win streak over the Tigers to 10 games. Between the February meeting and the rematch in March, Missouri and Kansas took two very divergent paths through the remaining conference play. Sitting at 7-1 after their victory over Missouri, Kansas stood at the top of the league standings. Despite going 3-2 over its next five games, the Jayhawks remained in a good position to win the conference title. Missouri, on the other hand, left Lawrence at 4-4 four and four and risked falling into the bottom half of the league. After going 2-3 in its final five games, the Tigers sat at 6-7 and seven in conference play, and with a fifth straight losing season on the horizon, Sparky Stalkup needed a victory over Kansas to salvage at least part of the season. When Missouri and Kansas took the floor at Brewer Fieldhouse on March 11, 1961, university administrators feared that something might happen. But little did they know that they were in for an absolute brawl. To dissuade any potential altercations, Missouri football players were stationed at strategic points around the court. Yet unlike what occurred in Lawrence a month prior, the introductions went off without interruption, and the crowd, though noticeably partisan, stayed calm. However, when the game tipped off, the tone quickly changed. The first half was a seesaw battle as the teams traded the lead. Though both playing center, Charlie Hink and Wayne Hightower did not guard one another. Instead, Stalkup assigned Howard Garrett to Hightower, and Dick Harp, Kansas' basketball coach, assigned Bill Bridges, the Big 8's leading rebounder, to Hink. The physicality between Garrett and Hightower was quickly apparent, and referees had to separate the two on more than one occasion. As halftime neared, the game grew increasingly chippy. After words between Garrett and Hightower during a foul call, Hink managed to lift a left-handed hook shot into the basket, and the teams raced back to the Kansas end. Bill Bridges missed his shot attempt, but in a crowd of bodies, Hightower scooped up the ball and scored. As he headed back on defense, Hightower bumped into Missouri's Joe Scott and immediately swung his elbow in the direction of Scott as he continued down the floor, and boos echoed throughout the arena. As the clock ticked down, Missouri took a 41-36 lead into halftime or so it appeared. In the waning moments of the first half, Kansas's Nolan Ellison and Missouri's Joe Scott had gotten into an altercation. Scott's retaliation caught the attention of the referees, and Missouri received a technical foul assessed at the start of the second half. Kansas made the free throw, and the half opened with a score of 41-37. The physical play of the first half continued as the game progressed, including a tangle between Ronnie Cox and Hightower after both went for a rebound out of bounds near the Missouri bench. The players separated and play resumed, but Missouri clung to a small lead as the teams raced up and down the court. And that's when it happened. 
With less than 15 minutes left in the second half, Wayne Hightower stepped to the foul line. On a previous play, Hightower took a hard foul from Howard Garrett, who stumbled into the stands after the two got tangled up. Hightower missed the free throw, much to the delight of the Missouri fans. When he missed the second free throw, Charlie Hink got the rebound, but his pass to Joe Scott was intercepted by Hightower, who headed for the basket. He missed the layup, but Hink couldn't quite get his hands on the loose ball, and Hightower recovered in time to power his second attempt in to cut the lead to 48-44. No sooner had the ball passed through the net than Hightower, visibly upset over the escalating physicality of the game, launched a right hook in Hink's direction. Hink seemed to avoid the punch, and Hightower was quickly double-teamed by Hink and Scott, who threw their own punches and charged towards the Kansas center. As the benches cleared, the escalating fight moved closer and closer to the raucous crowd in the stands until the scene blurred into an all-out brawl between players and fans. In an effort to quiet the crowd and break up the fight, the MU marching band played the first chords of the Star Spangled Banner, to no avail. As the players returned to their respective huddles and the fans returned to their seats, announcer Jack Buck, calling the game for ABC Television, stated the obvious, quote, There's going to be more than one shiner coming out of that crowd, end quote, before reminding viewers that, quote, This is a carryover from the football season. There was some bad blood between the two ball clubs when they met earlier on the home court of Kansas, end quote. The referees quickly assessed the damage, including black eyes and, and possible broken noses, and decided to toss Hightower and Hink from the game. After a 10-minute cooling-off period where players stood on opposite ends of the court and school administrators got the crowd under control, the game resumed. Yet, despite attempts to calm all involved, the situation remained tense, and the next few foul calls brought anticipation of another fight. By all accounts, the scuffle seemed to breathe new life into the Tigers. Missouri built a stable lead for the remainder of the half and refused to buckle each time Kansas got within a few points. Kansas hit a shot at the buzzer, but it was not enough as Missouri won the game by a score of 79-76. to Kansas may have denied Missouri an official conference title in the 1960 football season, but the Tigers' victory that day prevented Kansas from claiming the basketball conference title as the Jayhawks fell behind Kansas State in the Big 8 standings. One of the most hard-fought and intense games of the 70-year rivalry was over, but both sides entered a period of evaluation about the future of the series. Immediately after the contest, Sparky Stallcup expressed concern over how the affair would be portrayed in the state and nationwide. In fact, it was alleged, though denied by both schools, that airing of the game footage on television was restricted as a means to prevent a wider audience from seeing the brawl. Speaking about the melee, Stallcup told reporters, quote, This has no place in collegiate sports, end quote. Dick Harp shared similar sentiments and lamented that his players leaving the Kansas bench probably contributed to the reaction by fans to join the fight, adding that, quote, whatever fault it was of the University of Kansas, I'm responsible for it, end quote. Both schools waited potential punishment from the NCAA and the Big Eight at the end of the 1960 spring semester, but reaction to the animosity in the brawl was surprisingly muted. Instead, the fisticuffs in March were condemned as part of a larger trend in college athletics. As Dick Harp told the press, quote, I am not singling out Missouri. This condition has become prevalent on all levels, and as yet, I would not know the answer, but something must be done. Sparky Stalkup, newly elected as the president of the National Basketball Coaches Association, worked quickly to address issues connected with gambling, recruiting, and rules violations, which he and other administrators felt had a negative impact on organized sports. It's going too far when they quit saying follow the rules and win and start saying just win, he told attendees of a sports banquet in Springfield. Eventually, after the pummeling and body shots of a hard-fought year, Missouri and Kansas came to their senses. 
The threat of administrative investigation, along with an extensive cooling-off period, brought both schools to the realization that competition was important between the two schools and needed to be continued. When the rivals met the next school year, Missouri won 10-7 in their football matchup, and they split their basketball games, ironically winning on the other's home court. Despite tense matchups over the next five decades and no love lost between neighbors, the Missouri-Kansas rivalry continued on as the border showdown until 2012, when Missouri left the Big 12 Conference for the Southeastern Conference, and Kansas opted not to play their now non-conference rival. For the next eight years, the schools played each other only a few times in various sports tournaments and only once on the basketball court in a preseason charity game. The teams were supposed to meet in December 2020 for a five-year renewal of the basketball rivalry, but concerns over COVID-19 pushed the highly anticipated game back to December 2021. Whenever the athletic rivalry between Missouri and Kansas renews on an annual basis, there will still be tense games, boastful winners, sore losers, and bragging rights. But there will always be memories back to 1960-61, when animosity between the two schools grew so intense that fights broke out, future competition was debated, and concerns abounded about a new chapter in the 100-plus year story of Border War. Thank you for listening to the Our Missouri podcast. If you would like to learn more about the podcast, including past and future episodes, information about guests, and upcoming events, please visit our website at shsmo.org forward slash our dash Missouri.